Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Tony Katz today. Obviously, I'm not Tony Katz. I'm filling in for him. He had a last-minute dental emergency, gave me a call really quick. Kira, can you fill in for me? Of course. It's always a pleasure to talk to Tony's audience. And I am the author of Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas. You can find that wherever you buy your books. And I'm also the host of Just Listen to Yourself. It's a podcast on critical thinking. And it's available wherever you find your podcast. I've been breaking down the Stephen A. Smith comments about my DEI Fannie Willis article. And we didn't get through all of his comments the last hour, but we're almost done. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish out those comments because I've been breaking down his comments. Basically, he was saying he's ashamed of me as a black woman for criticizing another black woman and for connecting it to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I won't rehash the whole first hour, but you can also hear me talking about this on my show. Just listen to yourself with Kira Davis. The latest episode is a direct response to Stephen Smith. But in in fairness to the radio audience, we started this, let's finish it. It's just a couple more minutes. I'll let this play through to the end, Carl, and then I'll, I'll wrap up my comments on why I think Stephen and Fanny should be ashamed, not me. All right, let's go ahead and finish this out. Kira Davis, respectfully, Fannie Willis isn't the problem. It's you because you're making the assumption that whatever transgression she may have committed or whatever problem she may have created or whatever roadblocks or impediments she may have presented for her own self, particularly in this case against the the present ex-president. You're acting as if her qualifications are being brought into question when the only thing being brought into the question is whether or not they should be overseeing this case against the president because of whatever transgressions they may have committed on a personal level with what would be deemed by some to be an inappropriate. I'm sorry. I I knew I said I was going to let this play to the end, but I have to address this part again. I'm the one who should be ashamed. Stephen. I'm the problem. You're the problem. Fanny's the problem. You don't even understand what's at stake here. I'm not the smartest person on earth. And even I know that this is not just about this case. Do you understand what's happening here? If Fanny Willis is, is brought up on any of these charges, including a perjury charge that she will probably succumb to, if Fanny Willis is held to account for any of this stuff, if it's proven, a judge can decide that this is an issue and she can serve or be disbarred, uh, pay fines. It's not just this case that is affected. Why don't you understand this? She is a state prosecutor. Every single trial, every single case she has ever prosecuted will now be questioned. The state of Georgia is going to be flooded with appeals claims and and requests for overturning verdicts by lawyers from across the state and the and the country. Every person she has ever put in jail, and I'm going to imagine it's a lot from her job, is now going to have a case before the courts. 
to overturn their case. There's going to be judgments and settlements that have to, this is a huge issue. Don't be flip about this. This isn't just about this case. This is a humongous issues that will cost the taxpayers and voters of Georgia untold millions. And imagine all the criminals that can go free now because I mean, lawyers are salivating. Defense lawyers are out there salivating right now over this testimony. They're already preparing their briefs. They're already preparing their appeals. Yeah, this is mass disaster, Stephen. This is not just about Donald Trump. This woman has well and truly screwed the state of Georgia. If anything she's being accused of proves to be true, even one thing. You're the one who should be embarrassed that you don't know that. Keep going. An inappropriate relationship. Never mind whether or not the White House was influencing them in any way. One has nothing to do with DEI. But that's where you took it, Ms. Davis. By the way, a black woman accused of Fannie Willis of not being polished and classy and not being able to remain even keel while responding to an uncomfortable bar barrage of questions on the witness stand. So she had an attitude. She didn't like being barraged by, with questions the way that she was. And so that attitude came out in her. And because of that, that compromises the qualifications. It makes no sense, Ms. Davis. It makes no sense. No, no sense whatsoever. You need to stop. Terry Davis also states that Fannie Willis's foul demeanor and childish expressions only serve to magnify the grotesque consequences diversity hiring has for black women, black America in general. So in other words, what you're saying, Miss Davis, is that a black woman with an attitude, one black woman with an attitude, cast aspersions on a black race, which you are a part of. You ain't never had any attitude. You ain't never cursed anybody out. You never did anything, huh? Okay, you can stop it right there. No we're almost to the end here, but I'll address that part very quickly. Yeah, uh, well, A, I don't know a single black woman. I don't know a single black woman, and I've been a black woman my entire life. Well, I've been a black female my entire life. <laughs> I've been a, a woman for far too, far too long in my life, but uh, I don't know a single black woman who, who doesn't complain about the stereotype of the angry black woman and how it gets applied to all of us. So I really don't know what he's talking about. And as far as, do you have an attitude? You've never popped off on anybody. You've never said anything inappropriate or yeah, no, I, I do all the time. I do on the radio. I do, you know, in my own home with my kids. Sure. Of course. Uh, the difference between me and Fannie Willis is I'm not prosecuting a former president in the most important trial of the 21st century. Right. So she's she's definitely got to be held to a higher standard than I am. And she should know that if she's a, a qualified courtroom prosecutor, then she should know what a judge expects to hear on the stand. And she should know that the things she's saying are necessary. Listen to what happened to her, Stephen. What happened to her was she got set up. This is a weak case. And the Democrats know if it goes belly up, they're they're pretty much screwed for the 24 election. And it may very well go belly up unless they can pull enough strings like they did in New York. So what happens that they need someone to blame? Now they got Fannie Willis because she went out there and showed out her whole behind out there on the, on the stand. 
They're the ones who set her up. They're the ones that are going to take her down. They're the ones making her look bad. You don't think they knew who she was before she got on that stand? If the Democrats do anything right, it's recon. It's research. If they do anything right, it's investigation. They surely investigated Fannie Willis. They surely knew that all of these claims were in her background and coming out of her office, all of these issues coming out of her office before they appointed her. They, of course, they knew this. They surely did their research because they know what's at stake here in this case. Why would you do all that research? Why would you know that this woman has issues? She fired a whistleblower in her office, another black woman who came to her and said, look, there's misconduct in your office. Your aides are misspending funds. And what was Fannie Willis's response? Oh, you're fired. Yeah, that's a big deal, man. That is some serious stuff. And, and any politician or political party worth their salt would not have put that woman in charge of the prosecution because you know what's going to happen. You know that the Trump team is going to poke into her life. Why did they let her go ahead anyway? Because they know that this case has a lot of problems and they need a fall guy to blame when everything falls to pieces. And guess who that fall guy is, Stephen? A black woman. It's pretty easy to set us up. Because so many of us are like you. We're just going to snap, yes, queen somebody into a position of power as if that's what qualified her. I'm willing to debate the DEI connection because that's just my opinion. That's me extrapolating. And I am willing to debate that. But I am not willing to debate that she's somehow under attack. She did all of this to herself. She made every bad decision and then got up on that stand and tried to sass her way. Yes, I said it, sass her way out of being accountable for those decisions. That is shameful. She's the one who should be ashamed. I am embarrassed for all of us. Particularly, I'm embarrassed for her and for her family. And I'm embarrassed for every person who then took her out after that testimony, put her up in front of black churches, Talking about, oh, she's she's being used by the Lord. She's This is ridiculous. She's a liar, an adulterer, and perhaps a thief. And she may have just tanked the most important case that this country has ever seen. I have no excuses to make and nothing to be ashamed of. I wish you would hold Fannie Willis as accountable as you want to hold me. And I have no power. I have no influence. I can't convict a president. Yes. You are darn well right. She is held to a higher standard and she ought to know better. And so should you. We're going to end that there. When we come back, we're going to talk about another woman in power who really needs to check herself before she wrecks herself and everyone else around her. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz and you are listening to Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host as Tony goes and takes care of some dental issues. I'm your guest host today, Kira Davis. Follow me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis. We just broke down Stephen A. Smith of ESPN, his comments towards me regarding my Newsweek article on Fannie Willis. Again, you can find that at Newsweek 
or uh, head over to my podcast, Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis. Just search that and you can listen to it on most audio platforms and you can hear my full response to him. I did over an hour. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just thought it was, was interesting. You know, we are talking, we are in an age where we need to start holding people accountable and publicly so. And we need to be insistent on that. I definitely want to get to the story on Dalton Mayor Tiffany Henyard. Uh, if this isn't just a story made in America, I don't know <laughs> what is. But uh, I don't know. Did any of you guys have any cell phone interruption earlier today? I was fine here in Southern California. Looks like a lot of cell phone uh, service went out across the country, mainly AT&T, a little bit of Verizon. And so a lot of people were forced to get off the road, stay home. They didn't know where they were going. They couldn't use their GPS for a while. So some cities were reporting reduced traffic, which is crazy to me. But that is a sign of where we are as a society. This is why people, I teach my kids how to read maps. You should teach your kid how to read a map. By the I'll, I'll take the time to say this. You should be teaching your kids very basic skills that are probably going to become in high demand in the future. Teach your kid how to write, read and write cursive. Most schools these days don't use cursive anymore. In California, we don't, although we just passed a bill to reinstate it because we realize our kids are getting dumber. Oh, surprise, surprise, a progressive policy in education didn't work. Can we do common, common core math next, please? So we're getting, we're, we're bringing back cursive. Teach your kids to read and write cursive. They're going to be head and shoulders. If, if they're in Gen Z and they can read and write cursive, they're going to be head and shoulders above their peers. Teach them to read a map. It's a simple skill. But when the zombie apocalypse hits, guess who's going to be in high demand? People who can look at a map and read it. And reading maps isn't that hard. I mean, my kids aren't experts. They're not topographical experts, but we love road trips. And one thing we do is we always get out the atlas and we map out the route according to the app atlas, not according to GPS. And we're on the road. We'll let the GPS guide us around blockades, stuff like that. Traffic issues. Teach your kids important skills, basic skills. Those skills are going to become highly, highly marketable, unfortunately. In the next five to 10 years, they probably already are. Heck, if you could just teach your kid to work eight hours a day without complaining, they're probably going to be just fine. I know this is one thing that my husband complains about being in, in corporate America and having to hire from Gen Z. And he says that at some point, we just, we just have to be, okay, we're going to mentor this person. We're going to guide this person because every person that we're getting is not qualified and doesn't understand. The, and they're almost like little automatons, little robots. They're not self-starters. Teach your kid how to be a self-starter. You know what that is? That's just somebody who can make decisions about what needs to be done next. For you and I, people in our age range, I'm going to assume if you're listening to talk radio, you're closer to my age range than my son's age range. But people for like us, you know, we, we, we take for granted the, the basic skills. We take for granted the, the very basics of, of life, of doing life. And so for us, yeah, it does feel frustrating to look at these kids and they, and they don't know how to work, but they really don't. They really don't. So some of them are gonna have to be taken under our wings. Some of them are gonna have to be trained. Some of them just need to hear the word, no, you're actually not qualified. 
you're not qualified. And another story that was breaking today that I was looking at as we were in the break, which I think is very interesting. And I think y'all need to be paying attention to this. Just keep your eyes on this story. I'm reading from The Hill, CBS faces uproar after seizing investigative journalist files. I don't know if you know who Catherine Herridge is. She's a Fox News contributor. She's an investigative reporter and she works for CBS. And CBS, like many mainstream media outlets have had, a, has had a ton of layoffs lately. We could talk about why that's happening, but I'm going to assume if you're in Tony's audience, you're pretty well informed and you understand what's happening in the mainstream media. They're not creating a product that people can trust. And that's being reflected in the numbers, not to mention just the struggle of digital income as well. That That's hard to do digitally. We're all adjusting here. So there's been a lot of layoffs in the mainstream or legacy media, as some of us call it. And Catherine Herridge is one of those layoffs. Now you need to understand Catherine Herridge has been doing her job for, I think, 30 years. She is one of the best investigative journalists out there. One of the few who is sort of, we call it bipartisan now, but really what it is, is just doing your job. She's just an actual journalist who digs into stuff. Well, here's what CBS did. They fired her, which is strange enough to fire a senior reporter who does really, really good work and has a stellar reputation. She's not being, she's not Chris Cuomo being fired for sexually harassing people. That's strange enough. And again, I want you to note that Herridge does a lot of work for Fox News. But what CBS also did was they seized all of her investigative files and all of her research. She wasn't allowed to take it with her. Now you might say, well, that's what happens when you get fired from a company. My husband is in the business of FinTech financial, financial technology. And many years ago when he was leaving his old job, uh, he, he put in his two weeks notice or whatever. And usually what happens in FinTech, and this happens in a lot of industries, is once you put in that notice, because of all of the proprietary information that is available at the office, they just tell you to get your stuff and go. They basically fire you on the spot. That's what happened to, to my husband. And so, you know, he can't go back to his computer. He can't, you know, go back to his files and pull the files he wants. It's you got to get your stuff and go. It's proprietary. So you may say, well, that's what's happening to Heritage, but these are investigative files. And one former employee said that they had never seen CBS do this ever in the history of the organization. And it just so happens that some of the stories that she was working on were stories that were unfavorable towards the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself. So I think it's fair to extrapolate, that's a word I've been using a lot this show, that there might be some pressure from other places outside sources. We're at DEF CON 4 here when it comes to the free press. And when you see women like Katherine Herridge being squashed for just doing her basic job, it, it should give you pause. And it should give you pause about the information that you are consuming. Because this is proof that you're not getting all the information, right? There's, there's, there's a, a choke in the pipeline. There's a clog in the pipeline in the mainstream media. So that makes us all have to work harder to get our information. The whole reason why we do shows like this here at the at Tony Katz today. All right, let's go to another break, but don't go anywhere. I've got plenty to talk about, including Dalton Mayer 
Tiffany Henyard. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you are listening to Tony Katz today. host Kira Davis filling in for Tony. You can follow me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis. This just in FBI is investigating the today's uh, cell phone outage across AT&T and a couple of other carriers as a possible cyber attack. So I don't know. Go in peace, I guess. Yeah, we are. We are well and truly <laughs> in trouble. Um, yeah, of course it should be. And th this is just another sign of how vulnerable our nation is. But this is what happens when you're fighting enemies from the inside and out. And we're just letting these people stream across our border. Did you see Bill Malusian's report on Fox News? Bill Malusian, California boy, love him. Maybe one of the best reporters out there, truly. And it was a coup for the, uh, the, the cable news station to pick up Bill out of the local market here in California. He does a lot of work on the border. He goes down there himself, reports live from the border. And the other day he was there and he was interviewed, he just interviews people who come across the border and are apprehended while they get wait to get processed to just be shipped to other parts of the country. And he just went down the line and asked, where are you from, where are you from? And 14 out of the 14 people he interviewed were from China or Taiwan. And the 15th was from El Salvador or someplace like that. So we're, we're battling all of these huge battles. This is, this is really an ideological battle. It really is. And, and that is why every battlefront, we've got to put someone on it. You've got to get in the game. That is what my book is about. That's why I wrote the book, Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas. Obviously, I'm a conservative. And I've watched progressive ideas infiltrate all of our greatest institutions over the years. And I've, for a long time, I've said, look, you know, we win this at the ballot box. We, this, is, this is a way a free country like ours works. And I hate getting into battles and... I'm not a big debater. I hate the discomfort of uncomfortable conversations. But I think what the, the day I changed my mind was the day I got a memo from the school telling me that they were putting tampons in the boys' bathrooms. Here in California, we have these bathroom laws and we have laws that allow boys to compete in girls' sports and it's, just an unmitigated disaster, as you can imagine. But I thought at that moment, I thought this is absolutely ridiculous. You know, my daughter doesn't use the bathroom at school all day. She goes to public school here in Southern California. She doesn't use the bathroom. And most girls don't. Why? Not because of the quote, so-called transgender kids that are going and using the girl's bathroom. Because there's hardly any of those. It's the boys because boys are dumb and boys are like, well, now we can go into the girl's bathroom and we can peek into the, the mystery of the girl's bathroom and we can do whatever we want. By the way, do you know what happened to the tampons and maxi pads that were in the boys' bathrooms in high school? Just what you imagine. They ended up all over the floor 
The janitors were so upset they spent weeks cleaning up maxi pads stuck to lockers and the backs of students and chairs. And yeah, because that's what teenage boys are going to do. So that was the moment where I said, this is ridiculous. Enough is enough. We've all got to take our stand somewhere. And not everybody can run for office. Not everyone can be a politician. I did run for office. I actually chose to run for my school board. I was on this very show promoting that campaign in 2022. I lost. I lost to the teachers union supported candidate. And there were, I'm still dealing with the fallout of that, by the way. The unions didn't just leave me alone after I lost. I'm still dealing with the fallout. But not everybody can do that. And in fact, after having been through it, I wouldn't recommend everyone do that. Have some support, really think through all the consequences, make sure that this is something that you want to devote your life to because it will consume you. But that doesn't mean you're helpless. That doesn't mean there aren't other things you can do. I laid out, not only did I talk about all of the battlefronts that we have in front of us in order to save this country. But I actually give you ideas for what you can do right where you are. Everybody has the power to do something where you are. I use this example all the time. I ran into a teacher from Seattle who, she was at a conference. I was selling my book, Drawing Lines, and she came and bought a copy. And she said, I'm, I teach in a, in a public school in Seattle. Obviously you can imagine what's going on at that public school. We have all kinds of weird stuff in the library. By law, I'm not allowed to remove anything that I think is inappropriate in the library, but also by law, I am allowed to add anything to the library. So what I do is I go to these conferences when they pop up around and I go and buy books by conservative authors and I put them in the library and then I host a discussion group. And I only get one or two teenagers here and there, but I host a lunch hour discussion group and we break down the concepts in these books. Is she changing the whole world? I mean, probably not with that one little act, but she might change the one person who's going to change the world. Do you know what I mean? That's a, such a small thing. And yet something she does. Here's the other thing. Libs of TikTok. That, uh, uh, that woman, she uh, ran for the, the library board. This is, a, this is a thing that happens in your community. A lot of us don't know. We have library boards. I found this out recently because one of the Democrat accounts I was following tweeted out a, a debate at a local, in a local, in a municipality, I'll say. And I think it was somewhere in Minnesota. And they, they said, oh, here's a debate for the library board, two great candidates. I don't know why, what drew me to click on it, but I clicked on it and I read about the candidates and they were both just these extreme progressives and talking about how the library can be used for activism and trans activism and DEI stuff. And I was like, wow, these people are actually pretty influential. Why aren't there any sort of moderate Americans running for this, normal Americans running for this, or even conservative Americans running for this? We don't even know the position exists. Guess who knows the positions that exist? Well, progressives, left-wingers, Democrats, they love government. They love big government. That's our problem on the right. We don't care. Well, at least the voter base. I think the people in charge love big government too. But the normal people, the normies like me, that we don't, we don't love government. That's why we don't run for it. We're not keeping up to date on everything that's going on. We want to run our own private business and be left alone. 
unfortunately, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with the conference call culture, everybody. These are people who love conference calls. They love Zoom calls, right? They're the people who are going to make a call to you instead of send you a text. They're the people who are going to make you get on a three-hour Zoom meeting instead of sending an email. They're the people who love to run meetings. These are the people who are in charge of our governments right now, everywhere. So, of course, they understand, they know that there are all these little tiny very influential positions in each municipality and they have a a strategic plan. And that's what regular people need to be doing. We need to strategize. You need to get in where you fit in. I interviewed John Andrasek on Just Listen to Yourself. He is otherwise known as Five for Fighting. You might know his song Superman and he's a celebrated and Grammy nominated artist. And he was sick of all of the misinformation and horrible stuff coming out in regards to what's happening in Israel right now. And he really, he really felt that some of these assessments being made about Israel defending itself were very unfair. He didn't like the hatred he was seeing pop up, the anti-Semitism popping up. And so he wrote a song. It's called OK, but it's really a song about not being OK. He wrote a song. I interviewed him on the show about it. And he said, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the president. I'm not a politician. I'm not, you know, hugely famous. What I have is my voice. What I have are my words. That's, that's what I've been tasked to do in this world. And so I'm using that to make a little bit of change right where I am. And you can do that too. Might not have a Grammy award, but you can make change right where you are. So pick a lane and get in it. I don't have time on this show to break down all of the different things you could do. So go buy my book. I'm not just selling you the book, I promise you. In fact, that book is endorsed by Dan Bongino and right on the front of that book, he says it is a no holds bar plan for victory. That's from Bongino's mouth. <laughs> so I, I, I go buy that book because this is where we're at folks. We need to get in the game. Do you know the one of the major complaints? Um, I, I monitor Twitter X. Are we ever going to really call it X? I guess we will when the Gen Xers finally die out because <laughs> we knew it as Twitter and now we're too old to change. So, but on Twitter, I've been keeping Twitter open as I've been doing the show. And a lot of people are now complaining about AI, Google's AI and some other AIs that are being used. We're now in that era, gird your loins. And how the AI is basically woke. It won't create images of white people. It won't create images that that reflect conservative positions or conservative topics or subjects, among other things. And people are now testing it with prompts and finding out. And again, I interviewed another gentleman on my show about the rise of AI. And one thing he talked about, he said, AI isn't dangerous. You don't need to be scared of AI itself. AI, our artificial intelligence will help us. It, help, it will help us in our business. We're going to use it across all kinds of different industries. And it's going to really change. It could change things for the better. It's not AI that you need to be afraid of. It's the people programming AI, right? Because AI isn't self-sufficient yet. Hear me, Elon Musk? We don't want it. To get to that point, it's not self-sufficient. Someone's got to program it. Someone's got to be in charge of it. 
Who do you want to be in charge of it? Conservatives, we, and believe me, I'm one of those people, we tell people, hey, you don't have to go to college, you don't have to go to university, they don't have to have a stranglehold on your pocketbook and your opportunities moving forward. College isn't the end all be all of education, but let's not discourage people from getting into these fields. We don't need a million more politicians, moms and dads. We need programmers, we need filmmakers, we need songwriters encourage those things in your kids we need sensible good moderate normal americans to be running these hugely influential technologies and industries that starts with the kids and i think the left has has mastered that quality and as a result has overtaken education now we've got a lot of work to do from behind to catch up all right we'll continue on when we get back from this break i'm Kier davis filling in for tony katz and this is tony katz today tony katz today i'm your host for today kira davis follow me on twitter or x however you know that platform at real kira davis that's k-i-r-a all right let's get to tiffany henyard y'all know tiffany henyard she's she's in in the in the area that area she is the mayor of the chicago suburb dalton dalton illinois d-o-l-t-o-n she also happens to be she also happens to be the supervisor of the Thornton Township, which I think is interesting. I didn't realize you could hold both positions in two different townships at the same time, but she is, and she is a real piece of work. Fanny Willis times a million, times a million. Tiffany Henyard is accused of earning more than $300,000 a year in a city with a median income. I've talked about her on this show before. In a city with a median median income of i think twenty six thousand dollars a year what did tiffany do i'm reading from the new york post she has drawn massive heat for allegedly blowing taxpayer cash on everything from first class flights to vegas over the top security personalized billboards she took city money to put up campaign billboards and the way she got around it was by advertising for a welfare program, but the whole thing is just, it's her, it's her face. This is a young woman. I don't think she's even 40 yet. I mean, it's, you should see all of her social media. She is super glam. She is, she, again, she is the mayor of the town of Dalton, Illinois, where the median income is $26,000 and she is not a security guard. She has a full on security detail, multiple SUVs, multiple security guards. She, when, when the people of Dalton started questioning what she was doing and started, ra started raising issues, she dressed up as Wesley Snipes from New Jack City, rolled up into the city council meeting with an entourage playing Rihanna's Be Better Have My Money. Is this, uh, let me just ask Stephen A. Smith, is, is this the type of black woman I'm supposed to be supporting? Is this the type of black woman I'm supposed to be saying, oh, yes, queen, you make us all look good. She's she's Fannie Willis times a million. She and, and the only <laughs> the only difference is is, well, she's way more extra than Fannie, but she's not prosecuting a hugely important case. But she is dealing with something important, which is taxpayer dollars and responsibility. 
She was elected to serve the people and it's just become her personal playground. Here's the other thing she did, in case you've forgotten this, besides the money she stole for the trips and all of the fancy stuff she's doing, she's got hair, makeup, wardrobe. She also tried to pass a law that, I mean, she really did this. This is a, this, these are the actions of a dictator. This is like Putin Jr. She proposed a 90% cut to the mayor's salary if she doesn't win re-election. And if she does win re-election, the salary stays the same. That is bold. That is bold. And there's so much to dig into. How did she get here? How did she even get elected? How has she stayed in that position? How have people put up with this for so long? And why can't the people of Dalton just remove her? Why? This is, again, this is somebody failing upward in her life. And I bet if we dug into it, we would see a lot of examples of people giving her opportunities that she hasn't earned because she has checked a box, including the people of Dalton, Illinois. We do this all the time. I, I, I'm, my husband and I came from Gary. We moved here to California from Gary. My husband was born and raised there. I spent a decade in the community of Gary. And we did this all the time. We, we voted based on the person's skin color, not on what they could do. I don't know the last time you've been through Gary, but I've been through there very recently. I can tell you that nothing much has changed in the last 15 years. It's only gotten worse. Adam Coleman is a columnist for the New York Post. He's got some great commentary on the Tiffany, Tiffany Henyard case and how it got here. He's got something really important to say, so you're going to want to hear it. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you are listening to Tony Katz Today. <laughs> 